All right, Alexander, let's do the Q&A for the live stream we did with uh, Brian Berletic and Gonzalo Lira. And let's start things off with Utnosens, who asks, Gonzalo, a guesstimate for Kharkov falling under Russian control. My bet is before the end of June. Will Zeman have the decency to declare it an open city? I think Gonzalo answered that one, actually. Yeah. Let's not give time. Ricardo Alfonso. Yeah. Yeah. Ricardo Alfonso says, my condolences for this terrible train crash, such needless loss of life and completely preventable. Yes. We agree. Thank you. Thank you for that. Agree. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that super sticker. Sparky says, great to see you all together. Uh, John M in MN says, important, will the AFU forces be able to escape Bakhmut with their shovels? Very good question. Well, um, as we're talking, there's more and more reports that the Ukrainians are going to try to carry out some kind of breakthrough attempt to Bakhmut. I even saw a report that they're concentrating 50,000 of their best troops in the area and that they're going to start some kind of an offensive next week. So we'll see what they do. Um, the Russians are, of course, aware of all of this. They're moving their own people into the area. Looks like this battle is far from over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Dominique says, is the Biden obsession on Ukraine mainly due to the blackmail of the Ukrainians on the corruption of the Biden family? It's highly possible. I wouldn't be at all surprised. The whole thing is most odd. But if you actually go back and look at Biden's um, political history, I mean, he's been pretty near con in his views for a very, very long time. So, yes, there may be some elements of corruption. There's also said to be a personal animus that he has to Putin himself. They had a very angry meeting whilst he was vice president when Biden supposedly told Putin not to stand for president of Russia again, and Putin told him to get lost. And I've also heard stories, you know, I don't know whether this is true, that Biden was very upset because he wasn't able to do the things in Russia that he was able to do in Ukraine, and the Russians weren't prepared to give him a cut in the same way that the Chinese do. So there may be all sorts of explanations. But, you know, quite possibly the one you've given is is one of them. Angel Messenger, thank you for that super sticker. The Anakplis, thank you for that super chat. John Goodship says, assuming Russia wins the current battle, where is the next target of major significance? Kramatorsk is the short answer. I think that's a fairly clear one. Uh, uh, There is alongside that a very important battle now developing for uh, the town of Avdeyevka, which is located close to Donetsk city. And the Russian Air Force is carrying out bombs, uh, uh, airstrikes against Ukrainian positions there, which they haven't done up to now in the war. But Kramatorsk is clearly the next big target. Uh, Bulakov says, Brian, I'm on your Patreon as well as here on Duran. I hit you with uh, emails once a month. Prigozhin is worried he won't receive regular Russian army support and will be pushed back from Artemovsk. Are you yes, worried? I know. He, Brian, I, 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 well, there's lots, lots of talk about that. Latest reports say that he's now received the ammunition that he's been complaining about. And he gets ammunition regularly. He just wants more ammunition than other people are getting, apparently. That's been the, that's been the issue. But there's also uh, more and more reports that more and more Russian regular units are moving towards the area and are reinforcing his troops. In other words, both the Russians and the Ukrainians are concentrating troops in the Bakhmut area. Because the Russians have many, many more troops that they can bring to bear. I read... Recently, in a Western report, a claim that there's 190 Russian battalions in this part of Donetsk, and they haven't been activated up to now. So bear that in mind. Angry Warhawk says, once Bakhmut falls, will the dam break, and will we see a Russian tidal wave roll across the entire Ukraine? Well, that's a, that's a dramatic and very vivid metaphor. I don't think we should talk about tidal waves 
but it could very well be that there will be a situation where the Russians can start unlocking the entire Ukrainian defence system in Donbass. Two people seem to think so. One is Shoigu, the Russian defence minister, who's just at a meeting of the Russian defence ministry's collegium, said exactly that. And the other is none other than President Zelensky, who apparently agrees with him because he said the same. He said if the Russians take Bakhmut, they can advance deep into our defences and threaten places like Kramatorsk. So, yes. And beyond Kramatorsk, just to repeat again, there is nothing standing in the way of the Russians. There's no fortified position, no city, no town, no, no nothing between them and the Dnieper. Linda Pettit, thank you for that super chat. Ricardo Alfonso says, sunk cost fallacy. Rices says, welcome back, Mr. Lira. And Elza says, hello, gentlemen, you are the smartest. Do you think Zelensky is also calling Putin before he leaves his bunker to walk through Kiev like Biden did? <laughs> Very good question. I don't know. Perhaps. Um, yeah. It's not impossible. I mean, I, I, stranger things have happened and it wouldn't entirely surprise me. I mean, it I think it would be, if we have a situation like that, and I mean, the Russians would probably need to make a decision. I mean, do they want Zelensky alive and in Russian captivity? Do they want to take the risk that he might follow the example of another person who was in a bunker and uh, in Berlin? Or, or do, they, um, do they think that he might get away anyway? I mean, you know, I don't know what the Russians will decide. David Hart says, what will it take for the USA to have competent political leadership at the helm that can deal with the realities of the world rather than simply regurgitating stale tropes from the mid-20th century? There has to be a complete change in the US political system, by which I don't mean the Constitution. I mean the political class. And that's going to be a massive undertaking, a very, very difficult undertaking given that the political system today is self-reinforcing. I mean, you have the uniparty in control of Congress, you have the deep state, you have the media, all of them, as I said, interlock with each other. But the only way you can do that, you have to, first of all, gain control of the presidency through elected democratic methods, because that's the only way you can achieve legitimacy. And you need that legitimacy in order to challenge the rest of the system. And then once you've gained control of the presidency and hopefully Congress as well, you need to be single-minded and absolutely focused on bringing all those other parts of the system back into line and breaking their power as well. Now, unfortunately, that is what Trump failed to do when he was elected. And the Republicans in Congress, of course, weren't helping him at that time. But, you know, that's what you would need to do. Bruce Seymour says, thank you, gentlemen, for disclosing the truth. Ricardo Alfonso says, from 2010 to 2022, Russia has been producing 125,000 artillery shells a month. From February 2022, they've been making 383,000 per month. I wonder where you get those numbers from. <laughs> that would be, those are very, very interesting numbers. I don't know what the numbers are. I, I'm going to make a guess, uh, by the way that the current number is a lot higher than 380,000. I, I reckon it's a lot higher than that. I'm not going to try and guess, but I, you know, add another couple of hundred thousand beyond that. U.S. artillery production, for people to know, is currently just under 20,000 a month, and the European Union artillery production that's all across the European Union is around five, 5,000 a month for comparison. Costa 910 says, Gonzalo Bryan and you too, thank you for your Saturday that you share with us and me, Kosovo, je Serbia. Costa. Yeah. Kobien says, Geopolitics University right here. Uh, Denise Cervantes, thank you for that awesome super sticker. Richard Wilde says, shocking talk from the UK stating that we need to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with Ukraine and confront Russia. Is this just posturing or will the UK boots enter Ukraine? 
Well, we have we can't send U U UK boots to Ukraine because our military was withering away slowly, steadily before the war began, and since the war. It's withered away much faster. We've given away most of our ammunition. We've given away most of our guns. We've given away 14 of our remaining usable Challenger 2 tanks, which are not apparently in particularly good condition, the entire family of them. And we perhaps could cobble together a force of 25,000 men in about five years, according to a report. We're in no condition to send boots on the ground to Ukraine. I mean, that's a fantasy. Once upon a time, we could do that. We could send a task force to the Falklands. We could send significant forces to participate in the two invasions of Iraq. We're not in any condition to do that now. From Tony Baca, Tony from Windy City sends peace and blessings unto you. Truth will prevail, falsehood, falsehood will perish. Yeah. Tony Sparky says, are you insinuating that they can't just order 155 millimeter shells from Amazon with a couple of clicks? Who would have thought it? How could they have known? Well, I mean, uh, Sparky. You make a very uh, good point. Leon Lawrence, <laughs> thank you for that super sticker. Uh, Wendy Sheets, thank you for that super sticker. Jeffrey Rock says, if you promise not to punch me, we can live in peace. If you break that promise, my only sure way for peace is to end your ability to punch me. Western lies have slaughtered hundreds of thousands. I agree completely. I think that's entirely correct. That's, that's absolutely right. By the way, point of made by a friend of mine who's been a businessman, a, a British businessman in Russia. He said to me something which is absolutely true if you work with Russians in business contexts, as I have also done which is that for Russians, even in the most corrupt periods of time in the 1990s, in a business deal, my word is my bond. If you say that you're going to do something, you will move heaven and earth in order to do it. You won't go back on your promise. For the Russians, going back on the promises that were made at the end, beginning of the 90s is something so abominable, so offensive, that... It's difficult for them to compute and impossible for them to forgive. Roman V says, is Moldova at risk? Thanks for the brilliant discussion. Yes, it is very much at risk. It's, it's, it's very easy to see how Moldova could be sucked into this war. I mean, there are John some Gitchip people says, who if China supports Russian military... Go on. Uh, John Goodship says, if China supports Russia militarily, will the United States be forced to postpone their war with China in 2025? <sighs> Complicated question. I don't know. I can imagine some people in the US saying that, you know, this is a reason to heighten the confrontation with China rather than ease, ease it off. Of course, what we would see is a sanctions war starting, which would be unpredictable and dangerous in itself. Now, having said that, can I just say something else? I saw a report, I think yesterday, I haven't been able to trace back its origins, that the Chinese are now linking the question of their arms supplies to Russia with US arms supplies to Taiwan. If that is true, then the Chinese may be much closer to supplying arms to the Russians than some people think. Matlas X says, would it be fair to blame the Greeks at Thermopylae for perpetuating the stand and fight to the last man strategy in Bakhmut? I don't think this is correct. I, well, I, I mean, I, well, first of all, you can't blame the Greeks. After all, you know, Leonidas and his 300 are dead thousands of years now. So how can they be blamed for it? And what Leonidas did had a very tactical and a real purpose. I mean, people don't understand this, but his force was the rearguard of a much bigger Greek army, which was about to be surrounded. And they stood there in order to pre prevent that force, that great Greek army, from being overwhelmed. That was why they made that stand in Thermopylae. And 
you know, in the end, it worked out right. Now, that's not what the Ukrainians are doing in Bakhmut. If they are taking inspiration from Leonidas and his men at the Thermopylae, then they have completely misunderstood that battle, and they're not uh, uh, following it correctly. Radovid says, uh, nice to see everyone well, especially Gonzalo, keep fighting. Uh, Elena Diaz says, apparently von der Leyen is in the race for NATO high priestess after Stoltenberg. Any thoughts? I, for my part, am investing in broomsticks. <laughs> I'm going to say this, actually. In some ways, um, it would be almost a relief for me. I mean, I, I'm not predicting who would take over the commission. It would probably be somebody every bit as crazed <laughs> as Ursula is. But realistically, she can't be crazier than Stoltenberg in charge of NATO. So, you know, you just create exchanging one person for another person of the same sort. If we get prize Ursula out of the commission, then, well, perhaps someone more rational might take a place, I'm not saying. But look, I don't know that this is even going to happen. I don't get the sense that Ursula wants to go. I think she's very comfortable at the commission at the moment. And I think there's other people who are looking at the NATO Secretary General's chair. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. Super Mario says Russia can afford to produce more because they can employ cheap labor from North Korea, which Ukraine and the West do not have access to this cheap labor. Another miscalculation in terms of strategy. Well, yes, I mean, they could in theory do that. There's no evidence that they have, by the way. I mean, there's been talk about uh, uh, North Koreans, but um, the North Koreans that have been discussed as coming to Russia would be construction workers. And um, North Korea is apparently very very skilled at rapid and high-quality construction. But I've never seen them uh, any suggestion that they would be deployed as armaments workers. Fern Hello says, MSM propaganda sounding like Kaiser's troops using Belgian babies for bayonet practice. Yeah. A lot of it. I agree. Bare feet 200. Verify 200 said WEF and WHO are using the Ukraine war as a smokescreen while they sneak in their one world government. Well, if, he, if they are, then it's not playing out for them because what we're seeing is that globalization is disintegrating. I mean, even Yellen, I noticed, was being put on the spot by people saying, look, the dollar is losing its hegemony, all kinds of other currencies are now operating. And they're not the currencies that, you know, are associated with countries that you associate with the WF. It's there, you know, rubles and rupees and UAE dinars and those kind of things. So it, 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 it seems to me that if it's a smokescreen, it's failing. It's, on the contrary, it's a smokescreen caused by a fire that's burning up the entire globalization project. Sparky says, so as not to worry about puppet governments, Ukraine needs to be reabsorbed into Russia. Historically, it was Russia. It was never a country until 1954. You know something? I know more and more people, including many people in Russia, by the way, are gradually coming round to the same view. I don't know that this is the view of the Kremlin, however, but, you know, some people are saying, look, uh, this is always going to be a problematic area if it retains some kind of independence. Why not simply accept the reality that we're all Eastern Slavs, form an Eastern Slav union, and we, can all, we all used to rub along perfectly well together, and we can do so again. Maybe that is the outcome we're going to get. We'll see. Eileen Gibson, thank you for that super sticker. Jeffrey Rock says, it's not absurd to imagine a pincer attack cutting off both sides in a counter-encirclement, but Russia's had a lot of practice in these kinds of wars. I doubt they'd let their flanks be that weak. Ryan responded to that one, and I agree with that, actually. Mar Mario Menes, thank you for that super sticker. 
Nebow, the Black Panther, says, Voices like the Duran, Brian, Colonel McGregor, Scott Ritter, and others are punching through the West propaganda and lies. More and more citizens around the world are feeling empath empathetic towards Russia. I'm ashamed of my country. Well, as I said, don't be ashamed of your country. Be angry with your political class who've led your country into all sorts of difficult positions. But in all other respects, I agree with you. Summer of 1970 says India's foreign minister really showed what a cruel joke the EU all sanctions are. Yes. And in fact, we're getting more of a cascade of reports in Bloomberg, by the way, interestingly enough, about how royal, uh, Russian oil exports are surging. More Asian producers are buying Russian oil. Oil prices, Rus or, or prices for Russian oil are rising. Nutu says, go guys, good team of minds on board today, making a difference every bit counts for a much better world. Yes, thank you for that. Mario Menes, thank you for that super sticker. Ricardo Alfonso says, the U.S. will say Russia has been weakened, mission accomplished, next war, and everyone will swallow it and focus on China. Not, un not unlikely at all. Uh, Yov Bressler, thank you for that super chat. Orange Proximity says, Russia ran out of ammo last year and is now firing washing machines. Good to see you mm -hmm. all. Absolutely correct. That. I mean, I was reading Orange Ben Hodges, a tweet by Ben Hodges that's been circulating, which he published at the start of March last, last year, in which he said that the Russians would run out of everything by the 10th of March 2022. Just saying. Uh, Stefan Walter says, uh, my, my 11th day quitting smoking cigarettes. Oh, well done. Congratulations. I know that's tough. Sam, Sam K says, CNN has had a general on to say that the Ukrainians should abandon Bakhmut, so even corporate news admits the loss is inevitable. Yes, I agree with that. But of course, the Ukrainians are not following that advice. Uh, Paul Walker says, will Shoigu's PMCs go to Syria or Ukraine? Well, the PMCs are already in Syria and Ukraine. Uh, Akshay says, gentlemen, we have spoken at length on how the West planned Ukraine debacle for a decade, but it seems Russia trumped the West in military preparedness. Yes, I mean, that's how it looks. Uh, Tyler Durden says, what's the plan for Ukraine if there will be one after the war? I don't know. I, I, I think that the Russians themselves are, you know, changing their views about this almost every day as developments proceed. I think at the beginning, as I said, Putin very much wanted to do a deal with Zelensky. He realized that's now realizes that's impossible. I don't think that the Russians have yet come to a consensus view about what the final settlement in Ukraine is going to be. Uh, Rudolf von Rakko says, it's an artillery war and Russia has the real artillery wonder weapon, penicillin. It's 10 years ahead of anything the West has. Penicillin wins wars. Yes, this is some kind of a device that's been appearing um, at, at you know, great numbers over the last few weeks and months, which is some kind of um, device to track where artillery is firing from. I'm not going to pretend I understand. I understand it. But many people are saying that it has been a game changer in the war. And it's enabled the Russians to suppress Ukrainian artillery very effectively. Big Brother says, psychologically, how can citizens in in W Ukraine be so emasculated? How can they allow a dysfunctional regime to hold them hostage? Well, I think the, the, the problem here is that we're talking about a complex history. I mean, before the Habsburg Empire collapsed, apparently a lot of people in this part of Ukraine, Galicia, um, were actually pro quite pro-Russian. But um, over the decades, they became radicalized. They became radicalized by the Bandera movement in the interwar period. Um, I think that Russian Soviet actions against the local church, the Uniate Church, probably 
intensified all of this. And I think people are also much more conservative, or were much more conservative, and strongly anti-communist there. And I think that shaped their attitude to, Mo to Russia and, you know, Russians generally. So uh, there's a long history of this, stretching back quite a long distance. And um, I don't think it's entirely surprising. Um, I think it has led Western Ukraine, alongside the, the rest of Ukraine, into a disastrous cul-de-sac, uh, as we're now seeing. John M. in MN says, what were your initial thoughts when you found out that the Fourth Circuit in VA, much to the chagrin of the French and Swiss, upheld a lower court decision and allowed cheese outside those countries be labeled <laughs> Gruyere? Uh, Gruyere, Gruyere, absolutely. It's going to be a big, big Gruyere. case. It's Gruyere. It's going to be an enormous case. It's, of course, this is something that goes totally contrary to... Uh, EU and French traditions, which is that um, cheese is named after it, you know, products are named after their locality. So the only cheese that you can call Gruyere is Swiss cheese made in a particular region according to particular rules. And so this is going to be, this is going to be a big, big legal case, major precedent. And we'll see whether it's applied universally. But you're quite right. The EU, the French, the Swiss will all be very, very upset by this. Ricardo Alfonso says, "'Tis but a scratch, Black Knight." Correct. Mar Marcos588 says, "'My friend and analyst said the difference between Herson and Kharkiv versus Bakhmut is the West's obsession with celebrating symbolic victories over the real ones. Most Westerners live in a perpetual state of denial and delusion. Absolutely. I mean, if Ukraine loses Bakhmut, I mean, understand this. Ukraine will have suffered far heavier losses defending Bakhmut than, well, I mean, it's not even, it, 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 the comparison doesn't even exist. I mean, Bakhmut has been defended by Ukraine and Ukraine has sacrificed Thousands, tens of thousands of soldiers defending Ukraine, uh, Bakhmut, which the Russians did not do, either in Kharkiv or in Kherson. You know, they sidestepped the Ukrainian advances, they preserved their forces, they did heavy, inflicted heavy damage on Ukraine. It's a completely different way of conducting war. Rudolph von Rocco says, RF has an ambulance system that works better than in most U.S. cities. Wounded soldiers get pro-help and transferred in less than 15 minutes from the battle lines. I, I, I didn't know that, but it wouldn't surprise me. I have to say that um, having been someone who actually had an accident in Russia, um, I was very, very impressed by how uh, rapidly and quickly you know, I was patched together again. David Hart said, that's the SOP of the U.S. destroy people's lives, destroy the infrastructure, damage people beyond repair, and take no responsibility for it at all. No reparations, no remorse, rinse and repeat. Yes, I mean, we talked, I think we mentioned this comment in the live stream itself, but I, I'm afraid I agree. Joseph says, the deep state leaves death and destruction everywhere it goes. Libya, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Ukraine. Mission accomplished. They flattened, they, they fattened their bank accounts and culled the population. I agree with that completely. Only I would say this, that the stakes in Ukraine are far, far higher than in any of those other places. And this could cause real, real damage to the U.S. in a way that none of those other wars did. Jeff Bickford says, thank you. Hopefully, TPTB will go down the de-escalation escalator. The American public is still reading propaganda and most seem to have no comprehension of what's going on. I'm afraid the latter is absolutely true. Same here in Britain, by the way. People do not understand that we are um, in a looming crisis in the Pacific. And I'm afraid, I, I, I'm very, very, very worried about it. Doc says, what's, who's, 
who's up first for Bricks Plus plus new applicants each day? I think Iran probably. I mean, it's a good chance. Uh, but I mean, also Argentina, you know, Algeria as well too, apparently. Uh, a says the only realistic way for Russia to avoid a protracted low-intensity conflict post-war is total capit capitulation of the regime in Kiev. NAZI style circa 1945, huge swaths of DMZ would help too. Yes, I, again, I think a lot of people in Russia are starting to come to that view as well. Of course, there have been some people in Russia who have held that view all along, but the, the number is getting bigger. Tish M says, question, since we can all trust the collective Western leaders to tell the truth, when will F-16s be flying into Ukraine with NATO pilots donning Ukraine uniforms? Projection is the key. Love you all. I think we discussed this in a very good video we just done, and which I think is out, in which we said that it looks like the F-16 idea has now been uh, shelved. Uh, the latest plan, the latest brilliant scheme, is to sh send MiG-29s you know, with American weapons um, somehow attached to them, you know, you know old Warsaw Pact MiG 29s in the 80s, and then, you know, screw on AMRAM missiles and that kind of thing. Whether this is going to work is an entirely different matter. Gonzo won the first. Your guys' opinion on the Sun's latest article about Putin's plans. Best wishes from Poland to you and the rest of the Duran's audience. I don't read the Sun. I, I mean, I never have done, but I'm certainly not going to bother any longer. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, uh, anything that you read in the Sun has no basis in fact. It has no sources in Russia. It's just making it up. Filipina Traveler TV says, New Atlas, do you think that we will see a bombing campaign at some point? Russian Air Force have only and mostly used SU-25 helicopters and missile strikes. I think he, I uh, think Brian um, answered that Brian one, yeah. Uh, Life is the fun, says good job, gentlemen. Lover of the Russian team, thank you for that super sticker. Bauke says NATO air power coming involved is impossible. Flying over Poland or even Romania would involve at least two aerial refuelings to and from over Ukraine territory with Russian EW up to full potential won't happen. Right. I agree with that. And I, by the way, um, you know, thank you for making that point. It's been made to me also in private emails. Um, the more I've seen about this, the more impractical it becomes. And I've also read a piece that somebody also sent to me about the sheer implausibility of a major Western intervention in this war. Um, it, it would have to be orders of magnitude bigger than the force that George H.W. Bush sent to fight Saddam Hussein in the Gulf in 1991, and that required a million men, all told. <laughs> and there's no way you can, the West is going to be able to cobble together a force bigger than a million men to intervene in Ukraine. Oh, Ultimata says Ukraine war is U.S.'s imperialism's Suez crisis. Yes, I think, by the way, I think that's a brilliant comparison. The Suez Crisis was the crisis in 1956 when the British, together with the French, tried to overthrow President Nasser's government in Egypt uh, uh, over an issue relating to the ownership of the Suez Canal. It went catastrophically wrong at a political level, and it is universally acknowledged in Britain as the moment when the British Empire, as a geopolitical force, effectively ended. The Kiefer 522 says Russia has hypersonic missiles. In theory, is it possible that they have developed hypersonic anti-ballistic ballistic missiles also? Just curious on your opinion of such a possibility. It's not, it's not hypothetical at all. The Russians say they have done. Now, of course, we don't know anything much about this, but there are two new uh, Russian air defense systems coming into service, the S-500 and the S-550. We don't quite understand the differences. But apparently, they are capable of shooting down hypersonic missiles, or so the Russians say. Pauli says, 
5 March 2023, oh wait, 15 March 2023, midterm elections in the Netherlands. Thierry Baudet's party supporting Russia being dismissed as being fascists in NAZIs. What a change. How new. I wish people would come up with something new. V Plan, thank you for that super sticker. Gustav, thank you for that super sticker. Gomad5150, thank you for that super sticker. Paul Martinson, thank you for that super sticker. Respergu, thank you for that super sticker. Elena Diaz says, in a war between East and West, who will Turkey and India go with? They will try to maintain independence. They will try to maintain their own independent positions. And they will try to do everything they possibly can to prevent a war like that happening because they know that such a war would put in jeopardy the future of humankind. Okay, it says, a war on China may begin with an all-out off-theater blockade of sea lanes. Absolutely, that's been talked about for years. I remember the first time I read it, which was during the time of Barack Obama's administration, talking about blocking the sea lanes to China, imposing a naval blockade, in other words. And there was a lot of talk about closing the Straits of Malacca. Remember, this was, you know, we're talking about the, uh, you know, the, the 2000s. And I remember thinking, this is shortly after he was elected president, and I remember thinking to myself, some people in Washington have taken leave of their senses if they think that's a wise plan. And yet we see that is precisely what some people in the United States want to do. I think it's a crazy plan, far more dangerous now, even than it was when it was first floated. My Rome 83, thank you for that super sticker. Tatiana, thank you for that super sticker. John Jay, thank you for that super chat. Sparky says, China didn't steal U.S. industry. I remember U.S. industrialists going to China and almost forcing it on them in the late 90s. I remember that too, absolutely. There was a rush. I mean, it was obviously the Chinese, you know, were happy to have them. They opened the door. <laughs> they did everything they could to attract these people. But the fact was, US industrialists of that period and US businesses of that period, and I made, made the decision to re relocate a lot of their production in China and set up the supply chains there and transfer the technology and did all of those things. And I remember all sorts of people in the West at that time, Will Hutton, for example, major economic commentator here in Britain, say this is fine, didn't matter, because, because the US owned the companies that were producing all of these things. It meant that China was actually becoming an economic province of the US. Well, events have proved, shown otherwise. J.C. Neal says, peace and love from Portugal, Oregon. Love you all. Thank you. J.C. Neal. Paulo Haro, thank you for that super sticker. Level 42, thank you for that super sticker. Paul Dorofeyev says, Rome's fall. The empire had a tax problem, labor shortage, bloated military and population decline. This led to monetary debasement to fill the gap. We import people, but the rest is playing out. Exactly correct. Very, very right. You're obviously somebody who's familiar with Roman history. Tishem says, question, ain't it rich EU countries going on a war footing as they take on loans to do so and without cheap Russian energy and Chinese electronics? Just how far do these maniacs believe they'll get? You, you put your finger on it. I mean, I, I am at a loss to understand the thinking any longer. I mean, you know, it seems that we are going ever up this escalation, escalator. And some people want us to, even though all the problems that you've highlighted are real. They're not just real, they're insuperable. David Hart says, if the Europe, South Korea and Japan would grow a spine and just say no to the US, then the Americans would be forced to rethink their hegemonic ideas. The US cannot defeat the entire world. You know something, if they were real friends of the US, that's exactly what they would do. If they were, 
I mean, the, the role of friends is not to agree with the crazy ideas of you know, the person you're a friend with. It's basically to act as a restraint, to take your friend aside, tell him, look, what you're doing doesn't make sense. And if they behave like that, we would actually have a real possibility of a successful and good American government focusing instead its energies on improving the lives of the American people, which would be better for everybody. Unfortunately, that's not what the Europeans and the Japanese are doing. And I can't speak with the Japanese because I know much less about Japanese politics, but I get the sense that, on the contrary, the Europeans are egging the Americans on in these crazy plans, not all of them, but some of the current European leaders, because they are worried that unless they do, the US will go away, will leave them, and then, of course, they will be left hanging out to dry. And it's an absolutely destructive, disastrous situation, but it's the one we're in. Neurosurgery Highland says EU and US officials may be diluted, but the wars will allow the monetary reform in US 2030 agenda to solidify and crystallize. Who's, who benefits? I, do, I don't believe that. You know, I, I know that is a widely held view. I don't actually think that. I think what is much more likely to happen is that it will ultimately overwhelm the 2030 agenda and all those things. Again, I always say this, if you sow the storm, you reap the whirlwind. You may think you can ride the whirlwind, but you can't. Nobody ever can. It will blow you away. Zariel says, nothing the USA has touched recently has turned out good for them or anyone else in the world. Again, I called it the Bidas touch turns to Bidas touch. Brilliant. That's wonderful. Zareel, thank you for joining us, by the way. And you're absolutely right. I mean, you, know, you would have thought by now some people would have learnt that lesson. But no, they just want to carry on exactly as before. I, you know, I read Robert Kagan's pieces and I wonder sometimes, you know, is he aware of any of the damage that he's done? No, because he apparently he always repeats Whatever crisis we have, the same talking points. It's always the same with him. Jam says, it's... isn't it ironic how... Go yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, you know, just wanted to... It's like listening to Robert Kagan. It's like listening to the same broken record, playing the same tune again and again and again and again. Anyway, carry on, Alex. Uh, Jam says, isn't it ironic how Ukraine's main supporters, the US and the UK, have comedians that would make better leaders of their countries like Dorr and Russell. Very good. Vicious attack on Russell, by the uh, way, today in The uh, Guardian. Unsurprising. Uh, Elena Diaz says, many Soviet time monuments in memory of World War II soldiers have been demolished. How would Russia react if Treptow Park was demolished. That would be a sad day, but with Baerbach, who knows? Well, absolutely. If it had happened, it would be an enormous event. I mean, I, I, I've been to there. I've been to Treptow Park, and I've seen huge numbers of Russians there. It's an important place. It's a very important symbolic place for them. And, of course, if it is destroyed uh, in the way that you say, it will cause an enormous revulsion of feeling in Russia. It will be seen as Germany effectively turning its back back towards the kind of policies that led to the Second World War in the first place, forgetting all the lessons that were uh, seen then and confirming that it sees Russia as an enemy and it would have dramatic implications for the future of Europe. Yuri 2K says, thank you. Cactus Ray, thank you for that super sticker. Pilgrim Media says, are we in World War Three? Well, I think if we're talking about World War Three, we should be careful before we use those words, because, of course, World War Three is an actual open military clash between the, between the superpowers. And um, we're not there yet. And we shouldn't call the present crisis World War Three in case we do eventually find ourselves in a situation where we are actually in World War Three 
and then we need to see what we can do, if anything can be done, to, to, to stop it getting out of control. What we are in the moment is, if you like, in the pre, in the opening steps that could lead us there. And that's bad enough. John Wuku says, if Hillary had won in 2016, she would have tried to enforce a no-fly zone in Syria, and we would have been in World War III already. You're absolutely right about the no-fly zone in Syria. She actually said so. I mean, you know, she wasn't making any secret about this. And that was, of course, with the Russians already there. And um, you know, apparently even Obama thought that was a bit crazy. Who knows what would have happened, but nothing good. Ferdor van Thalen says, thank you guys, watching you every day. You should definitely invite General... Kujat to a discussion, he would be down for sure, German general. We might do. It's a possibility. Um, and I believe he speaks fluent English. Well, he must do because he was head of one of the NATO councils. I mean, we'd love to have him. Hanage Productions says, what happened in Uka? What evidence do we have? Was it Russians or Ukrainians? Love all your shows. I think that actually there isn't very much mystery about this. I mean, I'm not going to say that there weren't some bad things done, you know, war crimes committed by some people, and I'm not going to investigate that. But uh, the great majority of civilians who were killed there and who've, um, whose bodies were found were killed as a result of artillery fire. And in other words, they weren't picked out for killing um, individually. It was not that kind of an event. And that's apparently been confirmed by forensic examinations. And it's I'm, I'm taking this information from, of all places, The Guardian. I mean, that was what The Guardian was reporting. So I don't see any reason to go behind that. The whole narrative, it seems to me, has fallen apart and fell apart quite a long time ago, if The Guardian story is to be believed. And I see, don't see any reason why I would not believe it. Sigrid Natalia says, removing Biden gives the U.S. excuse to leave war and dump EU. What are the chances of that happening? I think it's not impossible at all, actually. <laughs> I, I think that um, I'm not saying I'm not predicting that it will happen. But I mean, first of all, just see pictures of Biden at the moment. I mean, he's looking increasingly angry. He's barely in control of himself now, uh, um, more and more. He's making increasingly erratic and strange decisions, or so it seems to me. And um, there's murmurings against him, which, you know, one can sense from the Democrats. Apparently, they don't want him to stand again, even though he's insisting on doing it. So I don't personally find it difficult to imagine that sometime, sometime, you know, perhaps as these investigations and to his behaviour and that of his son escalate, that somebody will come along and tell him, you know, Joe, it's time to go. Who knows? And then, of course, that might open a way to shift policy. He's so identified with the policy over Ukraine that, you know, it's not impossible to do that. It might be easier to do that once he's gone. But don't expect it. There are people who want the war to continue and then independently of Biden himself. He is not the only or even the most important decision maker. Eman says, Brian, in your opinion, how much hardware has Russia kept under wraps and not yet deployed, both current stocks and new tech? Who knows? I, I mean, I speak for Brian now, but I don't think either of us, any of us can answer that question because the Russian... Ministry of Defense is not going to divulge that kind of information to us by definition. Denitsa, thank you for that super chat. How exactly do the, UK, do the Ukrainians who fled to Europe imagine things? In one case, Europe goes to war with Russia on the territory of Ukraine and destroys it. In the other, it expands throughout Europe. Then how far will they flee Argentina? Well, I, I hope we don't get into I mean, I, I don't think the Russians have any plans to conquer Europe. I think this has been a fantasy that people have been peddling since the Napoleonic Wars and 
Nothing the Russians have ever done suggests that they have those kind of plans. So I don't think that's going to happen. What those people thought when they came to Europe, I'm going to tell you straight away what they thought. That the streets of Europe are paved with gold. That's the legend. I think Alex has been met these people from Ukraine and listened to their views about you know, the wonders that life in the European Union would bring them. And there's still so many Ukrainians who believe those stories. And many Georgians. No. Many Georgians, yeah. Daith O'Dowd says, can China use Russia as a proxy against the US? Well, they're now talking about doing it. I mean, you know, when they, when they, if it is indeed the case, and I think it's probably true that a Chinese official has now made a direct analogy between American arms sales to Taiwan and Chinese arms sales to Russia, then yes, they, they might do precisely that. I, I can see why they might want to do it. Mark Hewitt said, would you compare Bakhmut to Tian Ben Fu or Verdun or both? I, I, I answered that over the course of the live stream. Soberano of Brazil, thank you for that super chat. Mr. Steve VC says, joke of the day. BBV Home says, Prigozhin's controversial rants are to some extent just brand promo, and as far as I see, the only narrated PR that comes from the Russian side. Yes, I mean, all, all, all absolutely true. And as I said, be careful. what don't, don't assume that what he says is necessarily true. Oh, he's a clever man. I think he's... Virgo, thank That's all. I mean, uh, yeah. I said he's a clever man, you know. Virgo, atheist, thank you for that super chat. Ricardo Alfonso says, so now NATO will bomb Ukraine. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think we discussed that in the channel. Bernard Murphy. In, 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 in yeah, Bernard stream. Murphy, thank you for that super sticker. Level 42 says, wow, they saved. Uh, Orange Proximity the says, that's the closest to the truth that the, US, that the U.S. government and NYT have been in ages. Yeah, absolutely. A pro-Ukrainian yes. group. Yeah. Uh, Metamax, 1970. Thank you for that super sticker. Sabrina Liston says, great lineup. Thank you. Uh Doc says NATO self-report. Thank you for that. Um, MNP1 says love for, from Texas. Can I buy Alex a coffee? Thank you for that, MNP. Euro Gabor says rumor says the Taliban is running to buy one get one blowout sale in Peshawar nowadays. If President Bidenopoulos would go there to shop for U.S. stock left behind after the withdrawal, then Ukraine could win. <laughs> Interesting thought. <laughs> Thank you for that, Euro Gabor. Um, Pachadra says, Gonzo on guitar, what are you actually smoking? <laughs> Thank you for that. Carolius Defect says, Trump at the CPAC, did anyone see his speech? He's weaponized common sense. It was frightening to deconstruct points out the obvious, and this is all he has to do when the current regime is so delusional. What happens in foreign policy if he wins a long and bloody war? Is this not to the benefit of his inevitable campaign? I, I, you know, I'm glad you've made, that, you've made that point, and I think you've done it, you've said it all very well. I am finding Biden increasingly frightening, actually. Not, not because, you know, he's a, all there, but because he isn't. He comes across to me as an increasingly angry and erratic and irresponsible old man. And that, that's, that's how he looks to me, with clear cognitive problems. And I think he's almost out of control. I mean, I, I, I've seen his recent commentaries. I've tried to unpack some of his recent speeches. And they are becoming really, really menacing and sinister, not just about foreign policy. I mean, the, the one that he did before the midterms, when, you know, he talked about the enemy within and all that, you know, in front of, with Marines on either side and, you know, the flag and all, the, all, all that. I mean, it, it, I, 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 I've never found a president 
as alarming as I found this one. Jennifer says, Jentifer says, Trump is the only person who will stop the nuclear showdown. He said it at CPAC that he would end the war very quick. There has never been a statement that Trump has said that hasn't come true. Well, he said many things that haven't, unfortunately, didn't come true. But on this one, I think he is, I think that is right. If he does become president, he's the one person who has spoken right the way, almost in the beginning, about this thing having taken all leave of sense. And he's the best chance, in my opinion, to bring this runaway train to a stop. Chetifer says, even the lefty Noam Chomsky admitted that Trump is the only world leader talking about peace. Thank you, Durand, for never trashing my beloved Trump. Oh, I think quite the opposite. I mean, you know, we, we, we see his many qualities, actually, which most people deny. Many people do not. Law of Attraction says Xi is reported to be in Moscow March 21st. Is the peace treaty somewhere there, or are we coming to the next big offensive combo, Russia plus China? Who knows? I've heard the same date, by the way, the 21st of March. So we'll see whether he does go. Um, and it's a big event. He's just been um, reinstalled as Chinese president for the third term. So his first foreign trip is to Moscow, and he's going to meet Putin. And that's interesting in itself, and there's definitely going to be discussions and agreements about between the two men, and we'll see what comes. But, you know, a defence agreement of some kind, many people are talking about it. I don't personally think it will be something as straightforward as that, but it might amount to the same thing, whatever it is that they do agree to. Al Gnaki says, ethnic and faith conflicts run deep. Thank you all for this window of clarity. Thank you. And from Stephen Walter, at the end of the day, how can we know that this is not just all planned? Destroy the West, freedom and embrace, way reset to rebuild better. Well, as I said, we can't know that. I mean, you know, all kinds of things go on behind the scenes, which we are not party to. We can only look at this from the outside. But we can say two things. Whether it was planned or not, what is happening is counterproductive and irrational. If it is planned, it is even more counterproductive and even more irrational. And the people who are planning and doing this thing are sowing the seeds, not just of the West's destruction, but of their own. K-Max says, Brian, assuming no diplomatic solution, how would you define a Russian victory? What would need to happen for Russia to achieve that? I'm a big fan of all your channels. Thank you for all your hard work and dedication. Well, again, I'm not Brian, <laughs> but I will answer this. I'm not necessarily saying that you know I'm speaking to a uh, full Brian. But I think that a definition of a Russian victory would be when the objectives that President Putin set out when he ordered the SMO, the um, freedom for the Donbass, which is now, of course, going to be incorporated in Russia, also Kherson and Zaporozhye region incorporated into Russia, and denazification and demilitarization of Ukraine, when all of those objectives are achieved. Now, the last two, it seems to me, cannot now be achieved with the present political grouping in Kiev still in place. So I think there has to be some kind of reorganisation of political power in Kiev. Zariel says, if the USA doesn't blame, UA-NATO is done. If the USA doesn't blame Ukraine, NATO is done because Germany will leave forced by the people telling the government. Yeah, I mean, I think you may very well be right. I mean, it's very interesting that even as the extraordinary story of the six guys in a boat <laughs> um, has now gained traction, you are starting to see people in Germany saying, well, you know, who believe this 
fantastical story, but they're saying, well, you know, if Ukraine does this to us, how can we go on supporting Ukraine? And of course, that's what, what this is all done, actually, in, without perhaps intending it to, is that it's opened up the whole issue of Nord Stream, which up to this point, the US and the Germans and everybody else have been trying to ramp down. And of course, people are becoming aware too, more so now, because there's all this discussion going on of Seymour Hersh's um, original story. So this is a piece of news management, in my opinion, which is now at early risk of backfiring. Uh, Mr. Kekong, thank you for that super sticker. Svinstead says, to watch this live, thank you for. Let this war end. Thank you for that. Uh, Justin Slay4 says, please mention Tucker Carlson, January 6th footage. Absolutely, and we're going to get much more of that, apparently. It's all pouring out now. And, I mean, you know, I suppose I'm concerned. It merely, it, what it does is that it vindicate, vindicates what we were saying. What, I mean, we weren't the only people saying. What we were saying at the time and after, which is whatever happened on January 6th, it was not an organised attempt to overthrow the American government. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I can't repeat myself continuously about this, but coups are not conducted in that way. You don't send a small group of a couple of hundred unarmed people <laughs> into a place where the police, the armed police are, and expect that to overthrow a government like that of the United States. And of course, you know, pictures of the police opening doors and things of that kind are pretty suggestive of themselves and beg many questions which far too few people up to this point have been willing to ask. Um, from Denitsa Ivanova, I asked my question because these same people are used mainly to protest for more military support from Europe. They were organized again recently. Oh, I can assure you're right. You mean the um, other side, you know, the sort of Antifa and all that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that is true. Um, there's been very, I, I have to say, in Europe itself, at least not in Britain, I've never seen any protest in Britain coming along and saying we must arm Ukraine. The, the time when there was the initial Russian advance into Ukraine, there were some protests against the Russian invasion. But my own feeling is that there's no great enthusiasm for the war in Britain amongst the great majority of people here. But I'm in the United States, for all I know, quite plausibly, some of these things, you know, Antifa and the rest, might have been mobilised in the way that you say. Mr. Steve VC says deflection. Oh, yeah, it is. Of course, Orange proximity the, the says... It is, I mean, that's exactly the what North it Street. is. Yeah, it is exactly what it is. Orange proximity says... Large proximity says, wait, there is a war going on in Ukraine. Since when? This is news to us. The White House, March 2023. Mm -hmm. True enough. Uh, Spark Sparky says, wasn't Ho Chi Minh disrespected by the victors after World War I, despite being on their side? This may have colored the attitude to the West in later life. Absolutely, it did. You're quite correct. I mean, he was, he, by the way, he's a very interesting man with a very, very long political history, extending way back before uh, uh, you know, Mao Zedong became important in China, which is one reason, by the way, why relations between Ho Chi Minh and Mao Zedong were never apparently very easy. But anyway, there we go. Uh, you're quite right. He was disrespected by the West at the end of World War I, and certainly very much more so at the end of World War Two. Stage and Sage and Fool says, I believe war is a direct consequence of financial concerns. I keep hearing China's economy is set to grow. China's economy is in free fall. Can you get to the bottom of this question? No, I don't think it is in free fall. It has many, many financial problems. I mean, that is no question. But it is not in free fall. This is, if I may say so, wishful thinking of some people 
And I've been reading articles about the Chinese economy being on the brink of collapse or in free fall, going all the way back to 1999. I remember reading then the first article that made that claim, that this was a house of cards that was about to implode. No, it's got problems. It's got problems in its housing market, in mortgage markets. It's uh, overinvested in infrastructure. I've said this many times. Um, but the industrial base remains enormous and the savings base remains enormous as well and it's not going to collapse tomorrow in my opinion i've said this many times i think we've said it on the duran china's biggest problem is not economic it's demographic they persisted with their one china policy for far too long and, well, that's caused a whole lot of problems for them, which uh, are now manifesting themselves. Walter Washington says, did Judith Miller write that article? To the New York Times, Nord Stream article. Yeah, very probably. Surely uh, she ghosted it, if nothing else. And Joseph said, can the deep state do anything but lie? They betrayed the military in Afghanistan. Do they know how many vets are rooted for Putin? The American servicemen have zero trust in leadership now. I'm sure that's true. I mean, I don't speak and, to, you know, I'm sure that's true. Yeah. Go on. And Bauke says the conclusion would be now that the U.S. is not opposed to rebuilding the Nord Stream pipelines, which begs the question, did Schultz give Biden his red lines? <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I don't know. And nobody knows what Biden and Schultz said to each other. I mean, I'm sure they said all sorts of very interesting things. It'd be very interesting to be a fly on the wall of that particular conversation. But Nord Stream was surely discussed. Peter Bray says, I think the West has a big problem with disassociating with Ukraine. So much media investment has made it impossible. I've said, I, I, we discussed that during the programme. I agree. And that is everything. Thank you, Excellent. everybody, very much for the questions. Take Thank care. you for an outstanding live stream.